I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Haggai. Haggai. Where's that? That's in the Old Testament, the Minor Prophets. If you go back to Malachi and Zechariah, go to the book right before Zechariah, and you'll get Haggai. Or maybe you've heard of Haggai. Haggai is probably the better way to pronounce it, but nonetheless, as long as you know what, you're, what book we're going to, okay? That's the main point. Once, you're, once you find your place, I'll give you a minute. Haggai chapter 2 will be in. We're going to look at a few verses today. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, kind of the story behind a hymn, the uh, song we actually began the service with, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So Haggai chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse, uh, let's begin reading verse 6. It says here, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while. And I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. As you have your hand there, uh, your page open to Haggai chapter 2, I invite you to take back your songbook out. And again, turn to page, I believe it's 124, page 124 in your hymnal, okay? We're not necessarily going to sing again at this very second, but uh, but we're kind of going to be looking at a few songs. And this, uh, this month, we're going to kind of look at the stories of our Christmas carols in a way. Uh, we're going to look at, first of all, this is a, a hymn of Advent and Christmas, and as we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is a song that it's not sung a lot when we do Christmas caroling, it's, uh, or even in churches for that matter, unless those who like strictly observe Advent, uh, for example. But uh, this is a great song nonetheless. And sometimes we sing these Christmas carols, and uh, we, we enjoy them. They're festive. They're you know, special for this time of year. But I think it's important to look at the truth that, uh, that, or the story that this is based on, the passage is based on. That's kind of what the purpose of what we're looking at today. And so this, the words are here, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. And so kind of getting it started, let me tell you a little bit about this song. This song was written, if you look down at the bottom there, you'll see it was written by Charles Wesley. How many of you have ever heard of Charles Wesley before? Most of you have. You probably know of his brother, a little bit more famous, John Wesley. Okay? And then we have this Wesley over here today. Hi, Wesley. <laughs> and then we have our Wesley who is at home. So anyways, but there's our Wesleys around here. Okay. Uh, so let's get a little background on this song and just to kind of help us understand why Charles Wesley wrote. He was a prolific songwriter. He wrote actually over 6,000 songs and choruses. Uh, and a lot of times what he did is he actually wrote them to be set to music that was rather popular at the time. Uh, famous ditties and songs that were, were around. But nonetheless, uh, he was very prolific, especially with the, the Methodist movement there. But anyways, uh, it was actually in the year 1744 in England that the famed songwriter Charles Wesley was actually, that, in that day anyways, pondering the dire circumstances of orphans and uh, the great division of the classes among the people in Great Britain. It was a very segregated society. Of course, it wasn't that much 
later that Charles Dickens wrote like of great expectations, think of the Christmas carol, things like that, kind of have that image in your mind. That was the situation. It wasn't that far off from what Wesley experienced uh, back some years before that. Nonetheless, for many in England, these were desperate times. And as he thought on these things, he was reminded of his own Bible study, and he looked in the book of Haggai, chapter 2, and verse 7. That's why we turned there this morning. Chapter 2, verse 7 says again, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. That, and that's the kind of the, the words he looked at, the desire of nations, the desire of all nations. And that's kind of what he thought about when he thought about writing this song. Charles Wesley then began to write out actually what started out as a prayer. And, and actually that prayer was actually, it's now the second verse of the song. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. So that was actually a prayer he started with, but then as he worked on it a little bit more, it turned out to be a song. Now in, originally, he did not have any, a tune to put with it. He just kind of put it out there. But nonetheless, what happened was this, that this prayer became known as the beloved Christmas carol and Advent hymn called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Wesley had published it in his book called, or hymnal called Hymns for the Nativity of Our Lord. That was the hymnal back then that he, he did. And believe it or not, that this song was published 20 times during Wesley's lifetime. It was published 20 times during his, his lifetime. And, uh, but you got to understand, why did Wesley write this and why did he publish it? What was his purpose in doing that? He had two main reasons. First, so that people would remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, that they would also prepare for the, for the second coming of Christ. So it had a twofold focus, the first coming and the second coming of our Lord. And he wanted people to be drawn and prayerfully attentive to these great, important events in world history, to the birth of our Lord and the return of the Lord. So interestingly enough, he wrote this song in 1744, but like I said, because he didn't set it to music per se or didn't have a tune to put it with, it kind of just dangled out there, and so it wasn't really that popular for many years. And that changed, though, however, because interestingly enough, this Christmas hymn, or Christmas hymn only became in great use across England due to a famous Baptist preacher named Charles Spurgeon. How many of you have heard of Spurgeon before? Most of you have, very good. So Spurgeon in nine, is in 1855, over 100 years after Wesley had penned these words, Spurgeon, at the age of 21, preached a Christmas sermon in London and included select portions of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus into his sermon. One of his primary points was that very few people are born king and that Jesus was the only one who had been born king without being a prince. Think about that. That's Spurgeon at 21 years of age. I don't think I was doing that at 21. But anyways, I was still working on my papers. Okay, <laughs> But nonetheless, uh, as we think about that, that's kind of what it, it, we see here in, in the second verse of this song, born thy people to deliver, born a child, yet a king. And so that's, so like I said, Spurgeon's taking a few of these points from this hymn into his message there for that Christmas season in 1855. So it was after that, that that's when it became widely published and actually became a little bit more popular here in America than it did in England, and then eventually kind of evened out. But that's kind of the way that the song morphed. And today we, we have it in our hymnals, and it's a good song. 
Yeah, there's a lot of great teaching in this song as well that reminds us of exactly why Jesus came to this world and also that we should look for his coming again. Uh, and so that's the twofold purpose of that. Okay, so like I said, one of the things, why do we look at hymns and the stories of hymns and of Christmas songs? Why do we sing these songs? One of the blessings, I believe, of good Christian music is that it should reinforce biblical truth. It should reinforce biblical truth, the truth that we have in the Word. Songs like this should reinforce the truth that we learn and that we hear preached. So this is very important. That's why we sing a few songs as we start the service. It's to kind of, not just to kill time, not just to sing something we like or we like the tune. It's to help reinforce the truth of what we're learning. Very important. So such is the message and the intent of the song, even by Charles Wesley. Okay? So one thing I do want to point out here, we're going to kind of look at this a little bit here, and then we're going to kind of dive into kind of why he the passes that he picked and kind of dig through that as well. So we're kind of doing a couple things this morning, but I think it'll be a blessing to you as it has been to me. So one thing I want to focus on as we look at there, let's look at a couple key aspects of the song. The first uh, part of this, again, it says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find thy rest in thee. There's probably much that could be said right in those first two lines that we look at here. But the one big thing that comes to my mind, and you could probably think, maybe do a little study on your own through this as well. But one thing that I see is this, that Jesus Christ came. He was born to set his people free from our fears and our sins as well. And that we would find our rest in God. This reminds us very clearly, and I want you, because this is so important, that we need to find the biblical truth. Hold your place in Haggai. We will be back there in a few moments. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Just want to look at a couple verses just to kind of emphasize and highlight the truth of Christmas and the Christmas message that we have here in, in this, in this uh, familiar hymn. Matthew chapter 1, and let's look at verse 21. This is so important. And we talk about Mary and Joseph, okay? And then we, of course, we know the birth of Christ. And this is the message that was given uh, to Joseph, actually, by Gabriel. And it says in verse 21, And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus itself is very important. It's the equivalent of the Joshua of the Old Testament, and it basically means salvation. And what is salvation? I've been talking with the teens about salvation, the basics of salvation, and a lot of times we use words in churches that sometimes we, we use a lot, we know what they are, but sometimes we really don't know what they are. You understand that? Like, what is salvation? If you had to talk to someone on the street, what is salvation? What does that mean? Salvation basically means deliverance, to be rescued from our sin. It's the idea. Uh, I remember this, and I think I've told this story before. Years ago, there was a, a man that we knew who had, um, uh, he was mentally disabled, uh, but yet he understood enough of the Bible and enough of the teaching that he got saved. A uh, wonderful change in his life. And he told his sister, who she was, uh, she was uh, uh, quite something else, put it that way, okay? <laughs> That's the best way to explain it. And anyways, uh, he goes to her and he says this, Hey, sister, guess what? Uh, I got saved. And she goes like this, Saved from what? I mean, understand this. We use words like this all the time. What do they mean? 
Salvation basically means deliverance to be rescued. He was rescued from his sins. Guess what? There's a good story. His sister, a couple years later, did get saved. And a transformation occurred in her life. Just amazing. God changes lives. And that's why Jesus came to this earth to save people from their sins. Folks, when we celebrate Christmas, there's a lot of good things that happen. You give gifts to one another. You enjoy family time. You eat dinner. We even have Christmas programs. All these things are good. But we cannot forget the real reason why Jesus came to this earth. And that is to give us deliverance to be rescued from our sins. He will save his people from our sins. That's the reason he came. And that's, again, what Wesley is pointing out here in, this, in his, his, uh, his, uh, his verses. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. You think of this, this was basically just like the prophet, like unto Moses, as Moses delivered by God's hand the children of Israel out of Egypt and set them free. Even so, Jesus Christ set us from a greater bondage than that of the Egyptian slavery. He set us free from the sins that ensnares us and entangles us. What amazing, amazing truth that is. And in that, we find our rest in him. It goes on in the verse here, Israel's strength and consolation Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. And as you can tell, back in the, basically the last line there, dear desire of every nation. That again is, where does that come from? Haggai chapter 2 verse 7. Okay, so that's again where Wesley was doing his study, and that's kind of what came to his mind as he penned these words uh, so many years ago. And so we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later. Another part, look at verse 2. In the song, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. Again, we mentioned what Spurgeon preached about, uh, that Jesus Christ, he was born king without being a prince. You know, you think, especially in England, where they're used to kings and queens, and now we have King Charles again, okay? So, but think about this, all the kings, you know, usually in the hierarchical line, you don't become a king without first being a prince. You don't become a queen unless you're first a princess. Okay, there's a line. There's a way that it's supposed to go. But Jesus Christ, he was king without being a prince. Pretty amazing when you think about that. Okay, so another thing I want to point out here too, and this is what Wesley is pointing out here. It says here, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. What that really alludes to here. Uh, what Wesley's pointing out. Look with me in Matthew chapter 6. Turn over to Matthew 6. And this is a part of we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And what was the prayer that is, is made here? Okay. Look with me, verses 9 and 10. You probably could quote this from memory. I hope you could. After this manner, therefore we pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy earth thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is the par- first part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And then again, as we look at that, as God bringing God's kingdom here, as it says, thy kingdom come. And that, in a sense, is what Wesley is praying here as well. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. And bring more so in our hearts is the idea that Wesley had as well. Okay? Going on in the, in the, in the music, it says here, by thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, by thy, thy sufficient merit, raise to us thy glorious throne. So as we think about this, this is all, how does God reign in our hearts? It's through his spirit. And so this is some great truths. I mean, 
Think about, man, we just sung that song a few minutes ago, but when you really stop and ponder it, they're not writing basically a 7-Eleven type song, same seven words 11 times or 11 words seven times, however you want to put it, okay? All right, but there's some great meat here when you think about that, okay? And so this is a great song. So when we sing a Christmas song like that, there's some great truths. Again, this reinforces the truth that we hear preached and that we read about in the scriptures. So important as we do this. Another thing is before we close the hymnal for now, I want us to understand there's, there's one thing that sometimes we look at. This is really a hymn of prayer when you think about it. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus is really a prayerful Christmas song. It's like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Because prayer is one of the key aspects of the song. I want you to look that there are six times here that there is basically a prayer, a cry to God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about lamenting, crying out to God, seeking God, okay? And so there are basically six requests that are brought out here. The first one is in the very first line. Come, come, thou long-expected Jesus. This is a cry. Come, Lord, come, Thou long-expected Jesus, like the anticipation, yes, Lord, come, please, come. This was the hope of Israel, that a Messiah would truly come. And then we also, in anticipation of a second coming, we say, Lord, please come. Even so, even John, how does he end the book of Revelation? Even so now, Lord Jesus, come. This is, again, looking back at the Christmas season also of his return. Very important as we think about it. So that's prayer number one. Come the long-expected Jesus. And then, what's the second prayer that we have? It says, from our fears and sins, release us. Free us, God, of our sins. Free us of our fears. And think of that, what was going on, especially in Wesley's time with the, the orphans and the situation that was going on between the classes there. Again, think of Dickens and in his writing of like Great Expectations, the Christmas Carol, all the things like that, Tale of Two Cities. You think of that, and you think of the dire straits and things that were going on in that society. Or think even now in the different parts of the world. Think of what's going on in Ukraine right now. There's a reason why we kept the Ukrainian flag up just a little bit longer this Christmas season. Because you know what? They're going through a time of fear. And even sin that's abounding in their area. I was thinking I was talking, I think I was talking with Ron this week, actually. And we were thinking about all the troubles that are going. But one thing when uh, Brother Sam Slobodian was here with Igor, uh, the Ukrainian pastor, one thing that really amazed me is this in the in the midst of the current conflict in Ukraine with Russia, what do you see the churches doing? Those that were there that night that heard these testimonies, are those uh, churches and believers, are they cowering in fear? I'm sure maybe inside some of them are, but as a group, they are standing strong. We are seeing the church overall being strengthened. The believers getting stronger in faith. That encouraged my heart. We thank God. We don't have to you know, think about our electricity going out because of a, a missile coming in, destroying a power plant. We don't have to worry about that. Okay, hopefully not. All right. <laughs> but as we think about that, this is so important that our strength and our fears, our, our fears subside when we think about Jesus Christ and we cry out, release us. And then another prayer, the third prayer is this. In the next line, let us find thy rest in thee. Let us find thy rest in thee. So let us is another uh, prayer that is there. Let us find our rest in thee. Lord, may we rest in you. This is a cry. The fourth prayer, and we kind of covered already, is that now thy gracious kingdom bring. Bring it, Lord. Bring your kingdom. 
Okay? That's the idea. Then the fifth one is this. It's found in the last uh, verse, last part here. It says, rule in all our hearts alone. It's a prayer. Rule, God. Rule in my heart. Rule in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I think this is the most important thing about Christmas is this, is that we should have Christ rule in our heart. He is the king. He came as word to rule in our hearts. Think about that. Christmas is not about what you get. Okay? Christmas is really all about him and who he owns, what he gets. May he get our hearts. And then finally we have the, the sixth prayer is the very last line, raise us. To thy glorious for another prayer. Raise us to thy glorious for Lord, accept us. We look forward to that one day where we will be in your presence. Until then, rule in our hearts. So this is a prayer of Advent, uh, a prayer of Christmas, and a prayer of expectation even for the second coming of the Lord. What a great uh, hymn that we sing, a carol, okay? So with that, I want us to take just a few moments now and kind of go back to the scripture of what kind of started this whole Christmas song to begin with. And we go back to the book of Haggai. Hopefully you didn't lose your place there. Okay, go back just a few books there, book of Haggai chapter 2. And so again, Wesley writes this song based on his basic his um, study and meditation on Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. I will shake all the nations and the desire of the nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The book of Haggai is a part of the minor prophets, and uh, it's not minor because they were less of important, but they're simply shorter, and they're actually 12 of them altogether. Uh, when you look at how they're broken up, the last of the uh, minor prophets, the last three, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the, f- the first nine before all that, that was written, all those were written before Israel went, or Judah went into exile. Okay, by into Babylon. And now you have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those were written after they came back from exile, when they came back, okay, from the captivity. So that kind of gives you an idea. But in this passage we have here, if you want to kind of compare Haggai, another great book you can compare it to time wise is the book of Ezra. Okay, a lot of similar things are happening here. And so what's going on? They are actually rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the temple that was there that was destroyed by that was Solomon's temple destroyed by the Babylonians in the year 586 BC. And now here we are about the year 520-ish, and we are seeing now the uh, the Jewish people under Zerubbabel. They're now rebuilding the the temple. Okay, but there were some things that were going on here as they were preparing. All of a sudden, for different reasons and different excuses, the work on the temple stopped. Things got in the way. They had some persecution. They had a few odds and ends going on. And in Haggai chapter 1, verse 7, it says here, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. In other words, he's saying here, get back to work. Get back to work. And in that, God gives some wonderful promises as we see this. Okay, Look with me in the book of Haggai chapter 2. Look at the beginning of that chapter, uh, verse 1. In the seventh month, in the twenty-first or twentieth day of the month, of the uh, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, "Now speak now unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the residue or the remainder of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? It is not in your eyes in comparison of it is that nothing." 
yet, or let me just stop right there. So a lot of things are going on. Maybe in the future we'll do a whole series on the Minor Prophets. I think it's absolutely fascinating doing this. But in a nutshell, what's going on here, he's writing this the 21st day of the seventh month. It's during the time of Sukkot, the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? The word Haggai itself, Haggai means festive or festival, holiday. Okay? So that's, that's kind of what his name means. The only one like that, that we know of in the Bible is Haggai. Okay? So with that, he's drawing comparison. Okay, all those who came back from exile and those who were still around, how many remember? Raise your hands if you remember what the first temple looked like of Solomon. Some of the old timers did. Okay? Some of the new people, they didn't remember. Of course, they weren't born yet or maybe too young, things like that. But they started building the temple. And what was the reaction? And according to the book of Ezra, what happens when they build the temple, when after it was done, some people wept because it was not nearly as beautiful as the temple of Solomon. Temple, Solomon, the temple was gorgeous. Queen of Sheba was admiring it, okay? But some others, they rejoiced that they had a temple again. But there was one great thing missing in the temple that Zerubbabel built, and that was the presence of the Lord. According to the book of Ezra, chapter 10 and 11, the presence of the Lord had departed uh, the temple uh, during, from the first temple there. So the presence, that Shekinah glory was not there. Another thing that was not there was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was no longer there. And later on, when Herod, he takes this temple and he expands it, renovates it on a magnificent scale on 37 acres on the Temple Mount. He does that, and again, there was no Ark of the Covenant during that time as well. There is no presence of God in the temple, no Shekinah. But yet, there's much to rejoice about. Because what is the message that is given here? It says here in verse 4, Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, we see that several times through this. It talks about God's might. He's the Lord of the armies, is the idea. According to the word, he's our commander-in-chief. Verse 5, according to the word that I covenanted with you when he came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. So don't give up, get back to work. And here's the promise. So there's a focus on the desire of the nations. What does this mean? First of all, God promised strength to strengthen his people by his presence. We saw that in verse 4. This encouraged them to obey and to finish the work of the temple that had been abandoned. Also, in verses 5 and then in verse 6, it says here, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations, and the desired nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So God promised to shake the world, to defeat Israel's enemies, and eventually draw the world to do himself. And one day, God will indeed do that. He will turn this world upside down, and Israel's enemies will be defeated, and people will be drawn to the Lord, okay? And then also, God promised to fill his temple with glory. And as we think about that in verse 7, the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. It's interesting, I don't have time to go into all that, but the word desire here in Hebrew, it could also be translated as wealth or treasure. Think of something desirable, that's kind of the idea that we have in the Hebrew. Something desirable of all nations. It refers to a treasure, things like that. And so there's actually, to be honest with you, there's a lot of debate among scholars about, is this about the Messiah or not? I believe it is, and we'll get to why in just a second. Nonetheless, as we think about this, the desire of all nations shall come. 
And then what will that desire look like? In verse 8, it says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. That's what's going to fill this temple. That's going to come there, saith the Lord of hosts. But it's not so much that. That's not what makes the temple glorious. What makes the temple glorious? It's the presence of God. And we're going to find out how in just a second. It's through the glorious one. When Jesus came to this earth, this, was, this is what leads us to Christmas time, folks. When Jesus came to this earth, the Bible says that Jesus, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glorious one is none other than Jesus Christ. And he is the one who brings glory to the temple. Some people have argued that said, well, you know, Herod just did a great thing. By the way, the Babylonian Talmud says, whoever's not seen Herod's temple, the second temple, has never seen a beautiful building in their life. It was a gorgeous place. But that's not what made the temple glorious. It was the presence of the glorious one that made it glorious. It's referring to Jesus. And look at this. The times that Jesus was in the temple. Think of that Christmas story. And it's something we often don't read or talk about. But what happened when Jesus was eight days old for his circumcision? What does he do? Well, not he, his parents, okay? Mary and Joseph, they bring him up to the temple. And is there, and let's turn to this. This is so important, folks. Go back to Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. Luke 2. And let's look at what happens when they get to the temple. Something amazing happens, okay? Luke chapter 2, and beginning in verse... Uh, verse 25, let's begin there, okay? And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he saw the, had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do after the custom of the law, circumcision, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, my Yeshua, my Jesus, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. What makes Israel glorious? What makes the temple glorious? It's the glorious one, Jesus Christ. Okay? As we think about that, what happened when Jesus was then 12 years old? Remember, during Passover, his Mary and Joseph go back to the Galilee. Jesus sticks around to talk to the lawyers and the doctors, people like that, at the, uh, at the temple. And he come back, know ye not that my, I must be about my father's business. Later on, we find out that Jesus cleanses the temple two times, once at the beginning and the end of, of his ministry. They serve as bookends of his public ministry. He cleanses the temple. And also, after the triumphal entry... What does Jesus do? After the triumphal entry, he goes and debates with them. Here, Jesus is preaching there at the temple. What makes the temple glorious? It was not the gold and silver. It was not the actual, the, the rituals of the sacrifices. What made the temple glorious was the glorious one, Jesus Christ. This is important. So this prophecy was fulfilled as Jesus had come when the second temple was built. So here's the thing. Going back to Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. The glory of this latter house shall be of the temple shall be greater than that of the former of Solomon's temple, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place I will give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So in other words, here's an important thing about the Messiah, of the timing when the Messiah would come. 
He had to have come when the temp- after the second temple was built. And here we have, after the second temple was built, Jesus, the glorious one, is there. Amazing, okay? So Jesus is what makes the temple glorious. And also, God promised not only to fill the temple with glory, but he also promised to give his peace. And that is because of his presence. At the end of verse 9, I will give peace. We know in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, we famously know, for unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given. And one of the titles given to him, he will be the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Okay, the minister of peace. And this is referring to long-lasting righteous rule. As the Messiah who will rule and reign upon this earth, he will give long-lasting righteous rule. When we think about come thou long-expected Jesus, we pray that he would definitely rule in our hearts as the righteous one. And we would, ha- we would do that. So anyways, what is then the future desire of nations? Again, I think this is maybe a, a, a fulfillment in Christ, obviously, his first coming. Of course, did all nations of the world come to him at that time? No, there are still nations that flat out reject Jesus. We know that. There's people who do that. But one day, the heavens and the earth will be shaken. Jesus Christ will judge. He will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords, as sovereign over creation, with a title deed to the earth. He will come back and, and redeem what is his, the redemption of the earth and of his people. The future of the desired nations will be seen ultimately at his second coming. One day his glory will be over all the earth, Revelation 19 and 20. One day all nations will worship the King Messiah, Zechariah chapter four, 14. Nations will go up year to year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. This will be a part of the worship in the, in the, in the coming kingdom. Okay? With that, we see this, that when we see the desire of nations, he is desirable. He is that treasure. Okay? But also, we see here that nations, one day, there is great hope. And the fact of the matter is, as Haggai was talking to the Zerubbabel and the people of Israel, they were sitting around when that temple should be built. They were comfortable in their cedar-paneled homes during that time. But the temple was not being built. The work was not going on as God had them to do. So the temple must be built. Work must continue on. So with that in mind, as we think about it, Jesus then is the true desire of nations, even if the nations don't know it right now. Charles Spurgeon said this, He, Jesus, is the one, the true redeemer, the true rectifier of all wrong, in this respect the desire of nations. Oh, if the world would gather up all her right desire. We want an incarnate God, and you have got the incarnate God. Oh, nations, but ye know it not. Ye are in the dark, and groping after him, and know not that he is there. Wow, that should break our hearts, that the world does not know Jesus Christ. With that, knowing Jesus as the desire of nations, encourage us to proclaim the gospel. Spurgeon also said, Brethren, I may add, Christ is certainly desire of nations in this respect, that we desire him for all nations. Oh, that the world were encompassed in, this, in his gospel. Oh, when will it come? When will it come that all nations shall know him? Let us pray for it. Let us labor for it. Words of Charles Spurgeon. May that be our heart as well, to proclaim that truth, especially at this time of year, that Jesus is really the reason for the season. Everything else is secondary. Okay? So let's talk about today. We looked at the past. We looked at the future. But also, what about today? As one author put it, come, going back to the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, doesn't only express an ancient hope for the Messiah, 
and today's hope for the Messiah's second coming, this hymn, this Christmas hymn, rightly assumes that Jesus also comes today in a sense. One day he will come and bring his kingdom, but today Jesus can begin to reign in us forever. One day Jesus will raise us up to his glorious throne. Today he can rule in our hearts alone and through his eternal spirit. So the call for us is to recognize, yes, what Christ did coming to this world as a babe in the manger and what he will do coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. But what about today? Does Christ rule and reign over your heart? And the, and the cry, the prayers, come thou long-expected Jesus. Those who've been waiting for hope and peace and truth can now receive it by knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, their rescuer, their deliverer from sin. And for that, folks, that we have the true gift of Christmas when we become his child. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he longs to accept you. He longs to bring you to himself. Through his spirit, he wants you to be part. He wants to rule over your heart as well. This is a prayer for us today. Here's the point. As we think about the song, in Jesus, our expectations are met. We are given his peace as he rules and reigns in our hearts. And with that, may he raise us up to his glorious throne. Come thou long expected Jesus. A little bit to chew on on that song, but good. Next week, we're going to go to another song of Charles Wesley. The one that you probably know a little bit better. But we'll save that for next time. We'll give it a surprise, right?